Vampires. They're everywhere. You're one of them, aren't you? No. I'm something else. That ship! Blade is the key. All our strengths. None of our weaknesses. There are worse things out tonight than vampires. Like what? Like me. He makes the weapons. I use them. This open season on all suckers. Let's do this. Asylum movie reviews. I'm Kane. On the other side of the glass, not the other side of the glass, on the other side of the uh, equator is uh, Mike. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Some motherfucker likes to ice skate uphill. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Anyway, guys, we're doing our anti MCU month and we're reviewing today probably. I guess I would say the one that, well, it depends who you talk to. But most people would probably agree, I guess, on, on this side of the spectrum, as far as our people go, that this is kind of like the beginning of the next phase of comic book movies, because where Batman and Robin kind of killed it, this one was kind of like we're dipping our toe back into it in a little bit darker setting, and that would be Blade. Yeah, no, this is, I mean, it's not just, there's a lot of people, this is, this is counted by a lot of folks as sort of the rebirth of the comic book movie genre. Yeah, you know, yes, like you said, yeah, Bat, Batman and Robin really killed it off. But uh, this was sort of the restart of it. Yeah, and everything kind of went forward from there. We got X-Men, I think, a couple of years later, Batman Begins. But, like, like people have associated this film with the beginning of that new renaissance. And people kind of credit it. It's like it's dark vibes. And when it came out, it wasn't heavily advertised. The only person you kind of knew who was in it was Wesley Snipes. So that's what kind of drew me into it. I was like, okay, Wesley's into it. And for a while... When this movie was coming out, they had these uh, TNT specials where, T- where Wesley would be there of these karate tournaments. Where he, the guy's actually a, a black belt in karate, so he knows his shit. So the, he was trying to like you know advertise the film, and then it came out, and then um, yeah, it went from there. And it was a pleasant surprise, probably one of the most pleasant surprises of that year. It went on to have probably a even better sequel, Blade Two, and then of course Blade Three. We'll, won't talk about, but um, well, Blade Blade Three is just good. I don't I don't know why people bitch about it if you think about the cast for Blade Three. I mean, his hands down is ridiculous. You know, you have of, you got you got a lot of folks on that one. <laughs> um, it's it's Blade. I mean, but you got to realize a lot. There wasn't a lot about Blade in the comic books. He had a small run. He was a guest star. You know, debuted with Spider Man in seventy eight. I think it was. Mm. Um, and really, there he didn't really have a big run. So there wasn't like this massive universe. And really, most of his villains were your typical dark creatures. You know, your werewolves, your vampires. Yeah, he was part of the. Um, uh, and I think we were talking about the name they made of Frankenstein, Dracula, and Blade. He led some kind of like Monster Squad s team in Marvel. I'll have to find out the name, but Werewolf by Night was in Frankenstein, and I think they were hunting Dracula because I know Dracula wasn't part of it. Because there's a there was a Dracula of the Marvel universe that we do get to see if you watch one of the animated series. But that's pretty much it. So we're doing Blade, and um, before I chuckle along and talk along about it, I'm gonna let Mike uh, begin, sir. 
Well, yeah, we've got Blade here. Uh, like I said, night, well, Kanan said 1998 was when this uh, debuted. Uh, director uh, by uh, Stephen Nordington, who is, I think uh, this is right after a movie we've already done, uh, Seven. This mm. was right after he had gotten done with doing Seven, but uh, he's gotten, you know, he's got Blade, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen on, under his belt as well. Uh, he's been, he's worked with tons of great, great, like, horror. When you look at horror, you look at Dick Smith, Rick Baker, and Stan Winston, as uh, as you know, folks that he has worked through with with through without you know within his career, so definitely somebody that's uh, you know gotten his uh, time there. Uh, he wasn't with on seven as so much as like a director or anything. He was like behind the scenes, but this was like the next one he had. Uh, now, interesting little fact about this movie: this movie actually was released by New Line Cinema, whose yes. parent company is Warner Brothers. <laughs> and it's, so it's you know it's it's kind of funny that you know they're again we talk about this before and and in some other movies that you know during the 80s and 90s you know marvel was scattered you know their properties were scattered all over the place and here you have a warner brother company who is owned by you know who owns dc uh you know promoting and putting out a mar you know a marvel movie and mar marvel character mm -hmm. yeah yeah, which is kind of strange when you think about like where everything is nowadays. But um, this was the first one, and uh, it's hard to believe that Warner Brothers is in the background there of a Marvel property. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's it, funny it, when you think about the you know the crossing of the uh, crossing of the streams. Yeah, and, and that was definitely the crossing. Stephen Norrington, man, he was doing some films, and then uh, kind of fell off the map. I'm not sure what he's doing nowadays, but um, he definitely had a couple one when he started out had some home runs, and uh, yeah. Uh, it was also with David uh, Fincher, who uh, who was also involved. He he got involved with Blade right after he was also he had also worked primarily on Seven as well. Uh, mm -hmm. And he admits that it was actually uh, David Goyer who was you know a big part of this and who is still very heavily influenced, you know, influencing comic book movies and television series. Uh, he had kind of developed the script and actually uh, was going to direct it until unknown reasons popped up to where he why he kind of had to back out of it. Well, if you do follow the series, he actually did get his chance to direct the Blade movie, which happened to be Blade Trinity. <laughs> right, yeah, but but as far as, like, David was the yeah. writer for this. But again, he's been, he's had his hands in all sorts of, you know, comic book themes. He actually, the, one of the movies that we had for um, next week's podcast, we're going to, next week's pod, podcast we're doing, uh, we're going to be watching along with Punisher. Well, one of the other choices, what we were going to do, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., because I found it, and I was like, hey... David yeah. David was part of part of the comic book world during that time, so he was he did the screenplay for that movie. Um, but you know, like I said, all the blades he did, you know, the Dark Knight trilogies, the Batman mm -hmm. v Superman. And he's uh, I think he was, David was uh, involved with um, wasn't Smallville as well. Yeah, yeah. When so, it comes to writing, his writing is pretty on par as far as like adapting comics to like film. He's he's done very well with that. Um, yeah, directing not so much, but I'll, again, I'll give him a pass for Blade Trinity. That's not his first time, and you know that that set was a mess. So there, there are some circumstances that happen with Blade Trinity. If I don't, I don't feel, I don't, I, I, I gotta disagree with you. I think that was a perfectly fine movie for what it was. It, it's not better or worse than this movie. Really, when you look at the overall storytelling, really wasn't. I thought they both they both stand on on even toes. But David also is known for his uh, Call of Duty time. I mean, he has he's been the uh, co writer for a lot of the most recent Call of Duties. Duty oh, games. look at that. Yeah, look at that. Go figure. So, uh, so yeah, definitely uh, so, uh, somebody that knows this, knows this game and knows the sto his storytelling. Uh, so we're basically introduced uh, at the beginning of the movie. We're, we're introduced to Blade's origin. Very simple. In 1967, a pregnant woman is attacked by a vampire, causing her to give 
uh, go into uh, premature labor, and the doctors are unable to save uh, or able are able to save the baby, but the woman dies of an unknown infection. There's a slight twist to this. In the comics, uh, it follows a similar premise, but it's revealed that Frost, who we're going to learn later on, Deacon Frost, was masquerading as the doctor who fed on Blade's mother after her visits to the hospital for labor complications. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's a, there's a slight little twist to that. Um, and it would also help out to set up the entire new story arc like involved, that involved uh, Blade. And eventually we, we get introduced to Blade's biological father in the comic books who actually was um, dying of cancer and was sort of kind of made a, a pact with a, uh, with a vampire to kind of help him extend his life out. Yeah, which, uh, yeah, when we go on further, you'll find that that storyline is actually kept, but switched. Yeah, in a, yeah, a little bit, yeah. So then after the after that, we you know, it kind of fades away. And then we come to 30, 30 years later, um, the child that you know, was given birth had become Blade. Uh, Wesley Snipe plays him. Uh, if you guys don't know Wesley Snipe, New Jack City, White Man Can Jump, Passenger 57, Demolition Man, another movie we've done, U.S. Marshals. Um, and, of course, also all the Blade trilogies. So, yeah, him, uh, yeah, Passenger 50. I was trying to think of another one. I think Boiling, Boiler Room was, was another one I thought of. I think but. he was also in uh, Expendables 3. Uh, and then, of course, I think you and I talked about it on uh, Here's Asylum uh, about um, he was on uh, My Name is Dolomite when he was like his first time really coming back into you know from Netflix. He came in with that Eddie Murphy movie, and I l- love the character he played. Yeah, and he was coming to America, too. He played the general, which I thought he was probably one of the better things in that film. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it was interested, uh, when Blade, when, uh, Wesley Snipes got tied into this, well, he was actually trying and working to get an adaptation of Black Panther comics back then. That's really what he wanted to do was not into, was not into Blade, didn't know anything really about him. He was unfamiliar with him. Uh, and then he got a t- chance to look at it, seeing that he was, uh, really connected with kind of that black exploitation style from the 1970s. So, um, so he approached him as saying it like that. He thought, okay, well, let me just make this guy a little bit cooler character. Um, and always, and, uh, you know, more martial arts and a little bit more leather. <laughs> Cause, uh, when you look at the comic books, uh, Blade had an Afro and like, where were this like yellow jacket? Yeah. Thing. He, had, he had like this leather jacket with spikes on it, like high boots. Like he said, the fro wasn't a very cool character. And if you look at the, uh, the version we get in this film of Blade of Wesley Snipes, for a while, Marvel Comics and the animated series use that uh, visual representation yeah. of Wesley as Blade. That's how cool he made Blade. Yeah, yeah, and they it, yeah they turned him over in, in the comic books, made him more, gave him more the the, the cut and the designs on the the the, the, uh, the skull tattoos and the fade, the swords. And yeah. if you look at it like now, nowadays, he's still. I mean, I think he's they shaved his head bald, but um, it, he still basically has that Wesley Snipes build and the martial arts and yeah. the ass kick. So I think the ball headed thing came from a uh, came from the television show because uh, Sticky Fingers went went bald in which the was an, which, which a very uh, if we ever got the chance to talk about that very underrated TV show it's it, it, I think it was one of those shows that was ahead of its time it was yeah if, if it was if they showed that today and they say hey guess what miniseries on Blade come out on Netflix it would it oh, would, yeah, it would take off yeah I think one of the biggest things was is because again this movie was so new in the comic book world was still very fresh it's not like we are now just inundated with comic books movies on or television shows on every fucking network you literally look at every network that's out right now there is one to two comic book shows you know whether they're like these weird independent graphic novels that nobody's ever heard you know like the lock and key you know a lot of folks have never heard of lock and key um and you just look at like that and a lot of the a lot of just novels in general are getting transferred over and so you're pretty much every channel you turn on right now 
you're going to see a comic book adaptation of some sort. And again, it could be a one run graphic novel that somebody is like, that's a cool idea. Let's just stretch that out. So that's why mm -hmm. I think, yeah, you're right. If it came out now, the world and the the pop culture is would is more opening and welcoming to something like that. And that's not sure. We're still not sure what they're going to do with Blade yet. If that's going to end up being a show in MCU or if that's going to be a movie, yeah, we don't know. And like it was announced at that Comic Con panel, like it seems like many moons back before COVID, that um it was going to be a film with Mahershala Ali taking over as Blade. But so they did say, say I don't I didn't remember if they all, all I knew is that he was being cast as Blade. I just didn't cast. know which route they were going. If you look, I'm, well, IMDb is not the most accurate thing in the in the world. I'm no offense, but if you look at on these IMDb, he's like the only thing that's credited on there is this yeah. Mercy Cast Blade, and everything else is just like uncredited. So we don't yeah. know. Well, yeah, once like, they once they get started, they're they're ramping back up with everything else. I think they had to get those first three um, um, televisions shows out of the way. Mm -hmm. You know, get Wanda, get um, uh, get Winter Fal Soldier, and um, and I think Hawkeye's like the last of them, which Hawkeye's getting ready to debut in a couple of weeks for us. So. Yeah, should be fun. Yeah, and then another difference with Blade was actually in the original Marvel comic book storyline, he was actually British. He was an Englishman, not an American. So there's a there's another slight difference of kind of where things took place. Also, mm. um, so as we go on, so we were introduced to Blade, like I said, who is now a, who is a human vampire hybrid, has all of their strengths, none of their weaknesses, uh, with superhuman abilities, uh, and uh, except for he does require human blood. Uh, we are introduced to uh, Tracy Lord's character, Raquel. Uh, we don't get a last name, unfortunately, but she's not there long enough. But anybody knows Tracy Lord from MacGyver, Married with Children, Tales from the Crypt, Roseanne, Melrose Place. You're being um, very comfortable. <laughs> I'm trying to. Uh, she did have a very early and young career doing uh, adult films as well. well. Um, and then probably one of her last movies I can re I really like like to reference is, you know, she she was in Zack and Miriam make a porno. So, I mean, what, what better? Uh, and then, if anybody, if anybody is into like some great old trance music, she had she had a, a small, a very minor music career. Uh, she had a, one of her, I think, one of her cooler albums like uh, came out just around this time. It was a, a, a trance uh, album at, with uh, some of her music. Really, really fucking cool shit. If anybody's interested, yes. check that out. Which a uh, scene that we're going to get to like momentarily involves a lot of trance music. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so yeah, so uh, but, but basically he uh he but Blade uh, raves this Los Angeles rave club where we see uh, Tracy Lord's character Raquel bring in a human who's uh walking around, you know, just saying he's kind of getting manhandled or vampire handled by these folks we don't realize what we're in just yet and then all of a sudden the, the he starts seeing dripping of blood on his hands, you know, he's like red stuff and he looks up and then basically it turns into a, a bloodbath. It's it was basically the name of the rave and it was all these vampires in this in this raid. And then that's when we're first introduced to Blade. I mean, probably one of the best and coolest introductions. We see not only his action, we see kind of that that humor that he has as he's doing it. You know, that this is like he's a very serious man and this is his only source of entertainment too. That's it. I mean, like and you forgot to include that new order uh track they had on there with the trans remix, which kind of added to that when the blood is flowing down and then it just stops and the music kind of stops and he just walks in in that rain of blood and everybody just stops and looks at them like, Oh, oh. and they know they're in trouble. <laughs> but uh, we, then that's when we see like their version of the vampire's death, which I thought that was, it was great to see few, a uh, few questionable moments there because he runs into a, a, a familiar vampire that we're going to see quite a bit. Uh, Quinn, uh, who's played by uh, Donnell Logue. Uh, and he's uh, he's been in uh, Tower of Steve. He's been in uh, Sons of Anarchy, uh, Vikings, Cooper Terriers. Also, you know, best known for you and I. I mean, with as Harvey Bullock, 
Mm-hmm. Man, great, great live action with Harvey Bullock from Gotham. Yeah, so uh, definitely, uh, you know, we get to introduce to him now. My only problem is, is he's going around shooting these folks with his these spears out of his shotgun. Then he shoots him twice in the shoulder. He doesn't die. He doesn't die. Yeah, yeah. he's just in the wall. I'm like, what am I? They roasted him and all that shit. But yeah, he didn't die. but yeah, no, that's that again. Yeah, we, uh, Blade walks over to him and says, "Hey, you know, I've tried everything on you. Let me try fire today." You know, apparently there, there's this there's this relationship going on now. Originally, that character of Quinn was a one and done character, but because of uh, Donnell's like personality and his humor on set, they allowed that character to continue. He was only a one and done type character, and they pretty much gave him carte blanche to uh, improv every one of his lines. He was a cool character, yeah. man. I liked the addition. Like he was one of those ones that I'm glad he didn't die that first scene because as he went along, yes, he, was he sort of comic relief, sort of, but. Just a cool character. I dug him. And, um, you know, the further we went, we know more about him, where he works for and all that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So we discovered that this this rave is being owned by a vampire named Deacon Frost, who's played by Stephen Dorff, uh, known for his portrayals. I think it was in the third season of uh, True Detectives, Power of One, Backbeat. Uh, uh, let me see. What else? The Gate. Um, Cecil B. Uh, Demented. He Stephen Really, when he you don't probably aren't going to look at a lot of his stuff and go, oh yeah, I know all those movies. He doesn't pick commercial movies. He picks he's an yeah. actor's actor in a way. Yeah, he picks all the indie stuff. Yeah, so. so so I mean, so we don't really see that much of him. Uh, but it's interesting though. Originally, there was another actor chosen for that character, uh, but that character, that actor, decided to uh, bypass to play Deacon Frost and opted to go and play on Lethal Weapon Four. That was Jet Li. Really. He was actually offered the role, but he turned it down because he wanted to go. He decided he wanted to go over to uh, do a lethal weapon. Yeah, I think we got the better trip. Steve, I, I can't see him as Deacon Frost. I did, like Stephen it would be, I think it would make more sense. I don't know. It was somewhat about Stephen. He just added something to Deacon. Like, oh, yeah. No, I'm nothing against the character, but the like world. It would have been. Yeah. The world I, that I, they. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut no, you. No, you go ahead. Stuff. I'm just trying to think of Jet Li as as Deacon Frost now. It would have totally changed the character, but in a way, it would have worked. Yeah, but you got to look at the world they were living in. The, the whole the whole town. We don't ever hear the town's name. We don't know what town they're in. It's hinted at, and we'll, I'm going to discuss that a little bit later. It's sort of hinted at where they're at, but there's a lot of Asian Americans in this town. And in this world, if you notice, every, pretty much every bar they go to, there's a scene later on in the middle of the park. There's a lot of a lot of Asian American folks walking around. So mm-hmm. Jet Li being in the story would not be a stretch. Like, oh, okay, yeah, of course, a, a, a Jap, you know, a oh, Ch- no, Japanese, no. Uh, you know, vampire hanging out in you know, little China or you know, little Japan or whatever. So we find, yeah, so we, uh, but yeah, that's that's who we find out that it was. Deacon Frost is a club. Uh, police bust in. They find, you know, Quinn smoking in the corner, put him out. Uh, and then we the uh, Quinn's body gets taken to the hospital. Now, uh, when we're in the hospital, uh, uh, we were introduced to Dr. Curtis, uh, who I unfortunately wasn't able to look up the actor that did that. And also a uh, hematologist, Karen Johnson, who's played uh, by Nish, uh, Nabush Wright. Uh, again, not a lot of on her career. Uh, she was in a... New York Undercover, Homicide Life on the Streets. She was on Chappelle's show and Third Watch. She's more of a performance artist. She was uh, known for dance and singing because mm-hmm. I tried to do some research on her career and there was not yeah, much there. she doesn't have that much on there. Uh, so we're introduced to them and we find out that there was a love relationship between Dr. You know, Dr. Webb and 
and uh, Dr. Jensen. And we always see that moment where they're sitting there literally talking back and forth over a dead crispy body <laughs> and they're dissecting, you know, well, what's going on? Their blood looks weird. And then that's when Quinn pops back up to life and attacks Dr. Curtis and then drags out Karen Jensen out into the hospital. And that's when we see Blade, probably one of the coolest scenes. You just see Blade kind of slow walking through the hospital. Everybody's like scattered. You talk about like the, the, his first, like his first intro and then his second intro, just dope, man. He just walking down, everything slows down for him, and they're shooting at. I think this is the part where the where the cops shoot at him, and he yeah. has like a moment of clarity of, of humor. He's like, "Are you crazy?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah come look at body armor on. <laughs> so it's actually during this scene, actually, when they're fighting, uh, the the Quinn actually uh, when he's attacking uh, Karen in the corridor, there's a lot of screaming going on in that, but. There was a little bit extra screaming going on because uh, uh, Quinn started yelling as well. And apparently during his tussle, he fell face first uh, onto the hard floor and completely dislodged his jaw. Oh my he God. had broken it and they, uh, from a uh, from a, an accident prior, like years and years ago, but it rebroke it. And so when he opened his mouth too wide or too fast, it would unhinge. Ooh. And when they were filming that uh, that in the hospital, there was a abandoned hospital, you know, for for it. Uh, they had to rush him to a real one, but uh, he was saying that all the guys that were uh, like dressed in these, he was rolling in and dressed as this guy in third degree burns. Because if you remember what he looked like, they literally yeah, ran a man and basically third degree burns, burns, essentially naked, running in with his jaw hanging down, and uh, they basically cleared out the room pretty fast, is what they were saying. Like it's uh, that's an interesting sight. Seeing this half naked man walking <laughs> through with a jaw dangling. Well, not How just half you... naked, but he looks like he's a burn victim too. Yeah. When you look at it, what he was wearing, <laughs> and then he probably also probably had the fangs in. I mean, it's like everything was just. <laughs> it'd be fun uh, to be. <laughs> so, but at that moment, we see that he turns around and he bites do- the doctor uh, as he's trying to escape. And again, we have that great moment where you know the cops start shooting on him and, and Blade, you know what? What the fuck's your problem or something along those lines. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Blade takes care, uh, grabs Karen, takes her out of the out of the hospital. Uh, another cool scene. Now I will have to say the special effects on this definitely dated. Oh Because yeah. there's a, there's some moments I'm like, ouch. Uh, that's that, that look definitely looks fake. I think when I originally watched it, and I remember going to the theaters and watching this. This is one of those ones you always make that comment about. Oh, I was at the theater with mom, dad, or what brother? Or what? This mm-hmm. is one of those ones. I remember I was going up to visit my dad. I was running early. He was still at work. He he lived up in North Florida and I down here in Orlando. So I had to drive up there and I left a little early and I was like, shit, I got time to kill blades out. Let me go to the movie theater. So I just hit a random theater up in, up in Gainesville. And, mm-hmm. um, I, and I remember watching it and I just like everything about that day. I remember walking out of theaters, just like my mind was blown. I was like, what the hell did I just see? That was just, and I felt like then, yeah, the special effects stood up. I remember watching the second blade movie and there was a scene where the special effects did not hold up. Uh, if you remember the scene where he fights the uh, the female vampire in that wall of lights. Oh, the, the and wall they're flipping light. around, and he's making yeah. like bends uh. and things. I'm like, I understand he's a vampire, but y- y- you wouldn't do that bend. I don't care who the, you are. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that was yeah, that's very wonky. <laughs> so, but yeah, there, there was a certain point. But again, at one of the cool scenes is like he just picks her up and just tosses her out the window and let you know lets her fall down. Um, yeah, and, like from roof to roof, I think she just separated her shoulder. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah man, that's a, that's a nice way to meet somebody. Uh, we get to kind of get an idea. We get a little bit of picturesque of the city to see kind of where he's at. Again, we still do not know what town we're in. This is a, just a nameless town. Uh, and then we, um, so they escape. Uh, he takes her to a safe house where 
She is treated by his old friend, Abraham Whistler, uh, played by Chris Christopherson. I mean, music, country music hall of fame legend, uh, you know, as part of the, uh, part of the highwaymen with Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings, uh, com- movie career. I mean, Pat Garrett, Billy Kidd, uh, Bloom and Love, uh, the original, not the, not the remake, but the original, A Star is Born. Uh, so, I mean, the man's a, the man's a living legend music wise and, uh, and, uh, and acting. I wonder going forward because I don't know if they're going to have a Whistler character in the MCU. I'm not sure if they're going to do that, but he's going. We talk about roles; it's going to be pretty hard to recast. His role would be pretty hard to recast because I'm always. I mean, I guess I don't know if they're going to go that. Yes and no. Well, they're going to have to, but he he had to realize what his character was actually a blend of two characters. One was Abraham Whistler, and then there was another character that was introduced. And I, for life of me, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the character that was introduced. with Blade in the comic books. And so somebody mentioned it was Stick. Blade's that's mentor? It, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was, no, it wasn't Stick. Hold on. Or just somebody else. I Because I might be wrong. Because I heard it was Abraham Wester and then I heard it was Stick. But I, I think Stick wrong. did mentor him to, uh, to a point, but not like his full mentor. No, it was always Abraham. But Abraham was really part of the main character of the main um, – the 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 uh, group at the end uh the uh what, what do they call themselves with with uh, on the third one oh the the uh night 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 something night stalkers uh, i think or something night like that yeah. yeah but they that was so he was kind of a mi- mixture of the whistler character and then also another character like another mentor he had um the look came from the other character this long gray hair i thought, so, I thought that was just chris because <laughs> he's well no that was chris but that's <laughs> But um, but no, that that was kind of part of the, the the look. So yeah, he was kind of a mixture of two of the characters. Um, yeah. We, oh, actually, no. Here, I got it right here. Uh, they were yeah. saying, yeah, yeah. Chris Chris's character Whistler was created for the uh, uh was created for the Blade cameo and the um, in the Spider Man animated series in 1994, and uh, he was liked so much that they actually continued the Whistler character. Mm. But there was another mentor in the comic books. So yeah, yeah, so that's why there was said mixture oh, of two. Okay. That's what I was saying because I knew that it wasn't like I knew they kept his character going. I just didn't know like I forgot the mixture. I knew it was Abraham yeah. Whistler. And, and like you were saying, we make a comment about you know that his uh, the Blade's father had cancer. Well, that that kind of they transferred that to, to the Whistler's Whistler. character. Yeah, uh, let me see. Yeah, Blade's father was. Let me see here. I don't think, uh, I don't think he was extraordinary. Just he was just some dude. No, he actually in the comic books he became a, an integral part. Uh, Cross was his name. Okay. Uh, yeah, Cro- uh, Lucas uh, Lucas Cross. Uh, he was a member of the ultra secure uh, secretive order of Tyrana, and uh, basically what they, uh, which was an obsessed. Uh, they were obsessed about vampires and the occult. That's who his original father was, and he does become a member in a an adversary later on in the comic book. So just not in the not in the movies, but in the comic books, he does become a part of Blade's life. Oh, okay. So Whistler explains that he and Blade have been basically waging secret war against the uh, vampires using weapons based on uh, elemental weaknesses such as sunlight, silver, garlic. I love in that scene that he basically says – or Dr. Karen's like, well, so what do you use? Like crosses? He's like, go – and he's like, crosses and garlic don't do shit. <laughs> and he just mentions like what he does with ultraviolets and – Well, garlic – dark. no, it, they didn't say garlic. Gar- garlic does. It's It was crosses don't do anything. Okay. Yeah. No, no, it was – I think it was um, 
uh, crosses and holy water. I think that was the reference that oh, it was okay, made. Okay. Yeah, garlic, because gar- garlic. We got to remember. First thing they do when they bring bring her in is they give her an essence of garlic shot to fight okay. off the, you know, the, the poison. Uh, but it's at that point, you know, that uh, you know Whistler's like basically says, "Hey, you know, Karen is now marked um, by the bite of the vampire. Uh, she's still fighting the the infection." Uh, even to the point, you know, where Whistler's like, you know, I don't know if she's going to still make it or not. You know, we have to we have to see that. Uh, we also see her walking around the, their their little their headquarters. You know, their uh, their place in the uh, in this industrial area, and uh, we discover she discovers Blade's magic sword or magic sword, the the awesome sword. Magic. I don't want to call it magic, but this great sword. You know, with the with the uh, weapon. There was actually in that scene, she was also supposed to come across an embryo in a canister uh and they uh and david goyer sort of like backed out thought he th- thought that might uh freak a few people out so they decided not to go that route to make them sound like they were experimenting on unborn <laughs> fetuses Which, i think they show that somewhere else on this movie doesn't deacon have like a no that's they a have it yeah i don't think they wanted the good guys to have it yeah i think you see okay. something uh similar well i don't think you see like um i think you see the embryos in the second movie yeah, where you have the, all the little embryos of the of the you know them saving it, but um, what we they, see in this movie is the bodies are being stored for later use. That's what, something we run into. Uh, so uh, so that you know we hear them talking about this, and uh, but he just basically tells her, "Hey, listen, you've been marked. You need to get the hell out of town." Uh, and then uh, as Whistler and um, and Karen are having a conversation, this is where you might find out where the city is because as they're having a conversation, you see Blade kind of kicking back on on a, a barrel, pulling out a map. It's the mm-hmm. map to it's a map to New Orleans because, like I said, they never imply what town it is. But never. in the comic books, many of Blade's stories do take place in New Orleans. In New Orleans, but again, they yeah. never mention it. And I'm not familiar with New Orleans having a very large, like I said, Asian American community because a lot of the area. Is you know Asian Asian American, so yeah, it's it, it could be Louisiana. I mean New Orleans. I mean, I, it's not a. There stretch. was nothing especially New Orleans about the town. Yeah, that, because you it was know, city moments. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Whenever you see folks, you know, doing a film in New Orleans, you're going to see you know you have the riverboats. You're going to see you know jazz bands. You're going to at least see um the shit. I just do a blank uh, Bourbon Street. You know, you're at least going to see a moment down. We never see anything like that. No, no. Uh, so afterwards, uh, uh, Blade drops her off. Um, so we, we meanwhile um, are meeting the Council of the Pure Blood Vampires, and basically it is saying that in this world, vampires, true bloods, are born, uh, and then there are the ones that are not, uh, the ones that are made as a human, which uh, like Deacon Frost is, and they and they really, you know, it's very, uh, it's a very harsh social structure there, and anybody that's not a a true born is looked down upon. Uh, Almost, uh, I'll throw a Harry Potter reference. You know, when they make fun of the the, the mudbloods, it's almost oh, very very similar. I was, I was gonna say Game of Thrones, like very like you know council setting. Oh, you're the bastard. No, you're nothing. You know, get out of here. <laughs> In a way, but that's just one one bastard. I'm talking as a, as a as a society. Uh, I know you're. I know, I know you're still rolling on your on your Game of Thrones high right now. So. I'll, I'll excuse that. <laughs> uh, so, but we're discovering the factions about the younger vampires, and they're you know rebuking the 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 incite of wars between humans and vampires, saying, "Hey, we are the gods." You know, the younger vampires are like, "No, we're we're the rulers. We should be ruling these. These are cattle to us. They're they're our food. Mm. Why are we playing, you know Why are we making back office deals with them?" So, uh, as Frost and his uh, kind are not all natural born vampires, like I was saying. 
uh, they, uh, they, they feel that, uh, that Frost has been, uh, you know, too flippant about like his parties and his, you know, raves and stuff like that, that they're trying to strip him of, you know, some of his abilities. Uh, we return, uh, to Karen getting, uh, going to her apartment and she gets attacked by Officer Krieger, who we find out is what they call a familiar, who basically is a human that's loyal to vampires, very similar to a lot of vampire lore. They always have their, their watchers. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Dra- uh, Dracula would you know have Renfield is really kind of that that reference point. If anybody is you know familiar with the original Dracula, yeah, it's been going yeah, it's been going on for a while. So it's nothing new. Like it, in this instance, they just had them marked. Like they had like little tattoos in the back of their necks. Like, oh, okay, I, I know who you are. You know, go to this place. So. Yeah, I mean, so, some of the older books you would always have like you know, a, a werewolf was the watcher of over the vampires because you know they mm-hmm. were daytime, and the and the vampires would take care of the werewolf at night to make sure they didn't you know wander off too much. Yep, yeah, just stay here, puppy. <laughs> so then, so we see the humans, uh, in, you know, that are loyal to the to the vampires. Uh, Blade subdues Kruger with and uh, uses uh, information from him to locate the archive of that's supposed to contain the basically the, the vampire Bible. And uh, what's interesting, the the vampire Bible, with all the language we see actually on there, was actually created by a UCLA uh, linguistic professor, uh, Victoria Fromkin. Uh, she was hired to design the language of. The vampires is uh, basically uh, she was also the creator for the television show Land of the Lost. If you remember the 1974 oh Land of the Lost, God, really, the, yeah. the, 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 pa- the Paku language, she actually created the language. It was a real language that she created, you know, very similar to kind of how um, uh, uh, Tolkien did for the with the uh, the language of the uh, of the elves. Yeah, the elves. Yeah, the elvish. Yeah, that was pretty good. Too. Uh, but despite the fact that the vampire's language was uh, was that was finally used in two scenes, they really didn't use it as much as I thought. But uh, when they. Um, the elder, you know, the, like when the elders berate you know, Frost, they use that. Uh, we're introduced to another character who uh, Pearl, who uh, begins yelling about the blood god. Uh, that's all in there, but basically, it's very heavily sent, uh, set on Russian and Czech kind of language. Very, very harsh. Uh, very, you know, they wanted it to sound very, you know, Transylvanian and East, mm-hmm. Eastern, uh, Eastern Europe. So, uh, but they, uh, they, as they're walking through, they come across uh, Pearl. And Pearl's a cute little chubby, uh, morbidly obese vampire. <laughs> yeah, she had quite uh, a little bit too much blood. <laughs> Actually, really, what it was, the director of the film, uh, Stephen Northing, stated that caused it that what caused Pearl's obese size was the creature gain, uh, was gaining cannabis cannibalistic lust for infants and children. As uh, as the, he loves to eat their hearts, and that's what fattened them up more. There, there was actually a backstory to Pearl. It wasn't just a fat, yeah. weird little vampire. There was actually a reasoning behind it because if you remember the club that they came into where they found Pearl was, again, another Asian you know, Asian American club. Uh, but there were little girls up on the stage, you know, singing. Oh, man. So maybe. Uh, yeah, okay. that was kind of the hint in the backstory to Pearl. Uh, if anybody does watch Blade and on a regular public television, you will notice that that scene, uh, a couple of a uh, couple of. Angles are a little blurred out when you watch it. They uh, they obscure. I think the, in one of the scenes, like one of the little girls kind of lifts her skirt up, and they like block it out on the uh, on the regular uh, on regular television. Good, <laughs> good. So they discover they discover Pearl, and they begin to talk to Pearl. And P- P- Pearl's got a, a particularly nasty mouth on her. And uh, actually, during the conversation, she's actually in the middle of talking to Deacon as well. Oh. And Deacon's just like, "Hey, Pearl, sorry, man up. Got time to take it." Uh, just take, take take the medicine, Pearl. 
and then she gets freaking roasted. Yeah, yeah. So they they proceed to torture. They proceed to torture Pearl uh, with UV lights um, into revealing what Deacon's basically, uh, you know, what what uh, what's his command for the ritual. Um, and basically, what we learn is that they are going to use twelve pure blood vampires to awaken Lamagra or Blood God. Blood God. And they discover also that Blade, a Daywalker's blood, is the key. Never um, understood that ceremony when we get there, but. Go on. <laughs> well, they're now, now they're talking to uh, later. They, you know, with, uh, at the hideout, Blade is injecting himself with the special serum that he picked up from a a, a friend at a at an occult shop. Um, was uh, and basically, it's basically suppressing his bloodthirst. Is all that all that serum's doing is uh, so that way he doesn't buy into and start you know feeding, which becomes a contention I think in almost every single. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a big plot point in almost every single Blade movie, isn't it? I think- I think the first two, yeah. I'm not sure about the third one. Like I said, I haven't seen Trinity in a long time. Maybe I'll pop that in tonight for bed. But I know the first two, there's definitely moments that the bloodlust does come up, and it's a big part of the story, like the first one and then the second one, especially the second one too. Yeah. Well, we, as he's doing it, he, uh, uh, Dr. Dr. Karen, she walks in and sees him taking it and you know, kind of like you know, looks you – know, he feels bad about doing it, and she's like finding out what, what's going on. And that's when we learn that the serum is beginning to lose its effectiveness due to its overuse. Mm-hmm. So Krieger informs Frost of what's happened, uh, and of course, uh, at that time, you know, he, he uh, Krieger, the detective, uh, you know, Frost gets pissed off at him, just you know, just takes him the fuck out. No, oh, just fucking just gnaws the head out hell out of him, and as it throws him off the roof, I think. No, uh, no, kills him, and he drops into a pool, and their party, okay, the party continues. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Somebody's dead. Yay, food. I think, <laughs> no, they didn't. I think he. I don't even think nobody. Nobody wanted to eat him. He just. They just shot him and he just dropped him in the pool. He just sat there. No, that's what I expected. I was like, are they going to jump on him? Nope. Nobody did. Damn. Okay. Uh. So and uh, so while experimenting with an anticoagulant, a EDTA, um, as a possible replacement for the serum, Karen discovers that it, it can explode once it's combined with vampire blood. Uh. So she uh, manages also to uh, uh, make a synthetic vaccine that can cure the infected. Uh, but it will not work on Blade, so it works on her. She's able to cure her, cure, finally cure herself. But because it's in Blade's makeup, because it's sort of you know part of his DNA, because he had it you know since birth. But at least now she knows if anybody turns or gets bitten, that there's a, a cure for them. Mm-hmm. It's not the end. Yeah. So Karen is confident that she can cure Blade's uh, infection, but learns that. Um, but uh, or sorry, uh, can uh, cure his bloodthirst, but it would take you know her years to, for treating it. Uh, Frost and his men decide uh, that they uh, Blade and her decide to leave, but uh, Frost and his men decide to attack the hideout, and basically they attack Whistler, infecting him, drinking most of his blood, uh, and they abduct Karen. Uh, I think this is about the time Blade wants to go get his refill. Actually, now that now that, sorry, I think I jumped him out of order. That's okay. And uh, but yeah, that's when they abduct Karen, and basically they kill kill a. Uh, Kill Whistler. It's, I mean, probably one of the, one of the toughest scenes I think I've ever seen in like a in a superhero movie. Is like, you know, Whistler's like, just give me the gun and get the hell out of here. Just go, you know. Just walk away. Just walk away. Get out. And then he just, he, all he hears is the gunshot in the background. Yeah. That's yep. it. And that's and that's the last we see of Whistler for this movie. And I wish they would have stopped it there. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Because literally, he just shot himself in the head, and they just swooped in like literally what a second after he way, left. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want to go to that second film, but how? Yeah, it was just. But anyway, that's that's. Yeah, neither here nor there. So when uh, Blade decides to finally attempt to, to rescue Karen from the Frost penthouse, at this moment he finally pulls out 
his iconic vehicle. The car was not his his vehicle. It's always a motorcycle. It was a motorcycle. And he finally pulls oh. out the and a very strange looking motorcycle too. I don't. It was not really based off of the off of the the comic book one. It was. It looked too no. futuristic. It, like it had these weird. It looked, like, it looked like Street Hawk, if you remember that. Almost piece. very similar. That's why I said it looked very futuristic, yeah. Motorcycle. I'm like, what is this? That's, yep. I was waiting for the blade, blade motorcycle, and you gave me this. You should have just stuck with a charger. I, <laughs> the car was better. <laughs> so uh, so while Blade attempts to rescue Karen in, in Frost's penthouse, he is uh, shocked to find out, after having this awesome battle where he finally gets to use his coagulant on folks and blood blowing up and all, just great, uh, he discovers that his mother is still alive. Who reveals that she came back the night that she was attacked, and um, who was you know basically it was Frost that actually attacked her. So we come to find out that not as Frost his mortal enemy, but in a, in a nice uh, you know Star Wars twist, twist, he is now his father as well. Oh, you know his yeah. vampire father, his, father, his, his vampire daddy. Yeah, I, I think people got confused like sometimes. Oh, that's his real father. I go, no, um, blood blood father. Just yeah. call him his blood father. That's what he is. Not his real daddy. And uh, so basically, uh, so then at, uh, as he discovers that, uh, you know, Frost appears and reveals to him that he was the va- vampire that bit him. And Blade is uh, subdued and taken down to the Temple of Eternal Night, uh, a temple that apparently was forgotten in America. I guess so. I mean, I don't know how you could forget that temple, by the way. Uh, well, like, the, the other thing also is like everything you said, <laughs> we're in America. We know we're in America. There's references all over the place. This vampire temple was forgotten, but there was no society back then here in America, unless they're hinting that vampires were in America first, then went back over to Europe. Yeah, that's why I said there's always this weird backstory that they just like. By the way, that temple was very well kept. It wasn't like yeah. dirty or anything. It's well, no, was... they cleaned it up. If you notice, they were in the middle of ex- excavating it. So, oh, okay. yeah, okay. so that's that, that, that I get that I had no problems with. But I'm, in my head, I'm like, wait a second. You know, United States, uh, this continent, you know was discovered, you know, by the white men, you know, 600 years ago. But how is this thing so old? And it just kind of, yeah, it just kind of threw me. I was like, wait a second. It just goes like, we need a little bit more backstory to this. I I think they cut that out. Yeah, they should have added at least a couple lines. Like, hey, this temple was here, blah, blah, blah. Like since like the the Spanish Inquisition or something. They could have added something. Yeah, something, yeah. So uh, Karen is thrown into the pit to be devoured by her ex-lover, the one that we met at the beginning, the other doctor, Dr. Webb. Who has basically been transformed into uh, the, kind of like this decomposing zombie-like creature vampire thing? You know, Lincoln mentions what he is. He says that sometimes, like they do well, he, in that in that dialogue, but leading her yeah. up to it, they're like, "Hey, you remember that one guy that sometimes van- you know we turn people? It doesn't always take, and they turn into these weird creatures." Yeah, that's really they, they set it up. I mean, that, to me, I didn't okay. need much more exposition about what he is. They they did it in a very subtle way. That hey. Be vampire or whatever. He yeah, was. he's he's just not turned properly. Maybe he didn't get enough nourishment. Maybe you know, maybe he was bitten. It didn't get blood. The other, I don't know. Like because the the stories of vampires always change, but the one thing that is consistent is you need the vampire's blood in your body. Like you go from Anne Rice to Discovery of a Vampire to Dracula to our Discovery of Witches. Every one of those kind of books and, and stories, it is the vampire bites you, you get an infection, but the vampire blood in you is what turns you. So mm-hmm. maybe this is hinting that the, it's an infection and you become this weird zombie thing unless you get blood from the vampire. That's like the second part of the transformation. 
Or do you have to bite somebody right away within a certain amount of hours? I don't know. Well, he already I mean, bit him. He already it's that that, that no, doesn't no, make no, any no, sense. Him, like, doctor, does the doctor have to like feed on somebody not, to become I don't believe so. I mean that doesn't that wouldn't make sense. I mean like within turning for the first twenty four hours, maybe he had to feed on to get human blood right in his system to have, to have I, again like, they didn't blood. yeah, they didn't I'm going I'm off like, of what I've read in history of books and vampire lore. I my my senior thesis was about Vampires, oddly enough, in in the in the writings of <laughs> in the right in the right in the writings of the mytho- mythology of vampires. So, yeah, that was my final my final paper for for my senior year. In uh, every lore that I gave or came across, it was always you had to get blood back. One of the things that was always consistent was that zombie esque kind of vampire was somebody that got bit and not. No. Get, didn't get the full transfusion. Okay. All right. I always, I always thought like that was kind of weird. Like, did he not get enough blood? I don't he think he never got. He didn't get any blood. I think he never got blood from a vampire. He got infected by a vampire, but never got blood from a vampire to continue. Well, he was bitten by Donald Loeb when he was kind of burning near death. So maybe that had something to do with it. Yeah, I'm I go, I go off of what I read in all my books and all my studying. Vampire, you can bite it, but to be a full transformed vampire, you would have to take the blood of, from a okay. vampire. So. The saliva infects you. The blood turns you. It's kind of the – it's a two-part system. Mike's in the vampire. Yeah. yeah. If, 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 you want, if you want to get the full thing, full thing, you have to subscribe. So that's <laughs> – so during the, the ceremony, we discovered that you know basically they're going to they're gonna kill off these 12 – was it 12 I said or 13? You said 12. 12. Okay, 12, um, 12 of the pure-blood vampires, and they you know, bring them all down. Uh, and then we um, – and so they're all there. They begin to put Blade through this ceremony of draining his blood. Uh, but Karen follows him to the uh, – you know, follows him to the, uh, to the to the area where he's being kept. That weird like little crypt yeah. sort of sarcophagus that is basically uh, almost like an Iron Maiden just like dripping this – just – Well, it is, it is an Iron Maiden. Just it's an Iron Maiden with a, with a, uh, with a drain. I mean yeah. <laughs> if you really want to get to the point. It, it, <laughs> Most Iron Mains don't have drains, but this one had a drain, and that's it was draining down and dripping blood on the uh, on the other vampires there. So and and so she gets in there, breaks him out, and uh, I think she no, she doesn't knock out her his mom. He gets a chance, he gets that chance, but she basically gives him her blood. So hey, listen, you 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 can't do anything. We don't have any serum. We don't have anything else. You have to, yeah, you yeah. have to take it. Uh, he didn't have yeah, he didn't have any serum. I love there's a scene before this before he gets locked in that they. Uh, that you know, uh, Frost is uh, is having his little speech about what's going to happen, and you know, having his villain speech, and you know, Blade's looking at the anticoagulant shot, and he's you know, he's like, "You want your you want your medicine?" He's like, "Why don't you take some?" Yeah, trying to hint at him. Go ahead, take take it. Little, uh, I guess we could call that a little foreshadowing. Yes, so, uh, so we see, uh, so Blade finally recovers, uh, kills his mother. You know, finally, it's like, okay, well, you're not my mother anymore, anyways. Uh, Frost completes the ritual and obtains the power of La Magra. Uh, Blade comes down and confronts him after killing all of his minions, and probably one of the cooler fight scenes I've seen, had seen in a while. Oh, yeah. That, that, the fight scene getting to, to Frost was really badass. The music was pretty cool, too, and him doing the flips, especially the stuff with the sword, the accused sword. I was like, damn. Like, not quite the first scene, but hey, it's not bad. It's ninjas. It's fighting. It's and again, lots of Asian Americans in there as well. Like, too, like I said, it. heavy, <laughs> so, heavy, heavy Asian American influence. Again, don't know why they weren't in like San Francisco or something that would 
I don't know. Yeah. Was it taboo to put Asian Americans in there? I mean, so during this, uh, we see that, uh, you know, Frost has basically become this blood god. He's still in his human form, but, you know, Blade chops him in half and this blood kind of coagulates and then goes back together. Uh, There is a deleted, not, there's a alternate version of that fight scene where it's not Frost as the human body, but Blade is literally fighting a blood blob uh, in the, like, in the shape of a body. Not looking, I mean, like a bigger body. It's more, more. He almost looks like he's fighting one of the thumbs from uh, uh, Spy Kids. <laughs> just like a red version of that, just like Blob. Uh, so um, that's you know kind of what I and so that was so that was what they originally did, and they're like, okay, that's lame. They even they're like, uh, yeah. yeah, okay, let's go back. But if you guys go into the DVD, you'll you'll see the deleted ending. Which it's the same the bl- ending. It's just he looks different. Well, yeah, like the Blood Blob. Yeah. <laughs> He's a blood blob. He's Pearl. Just blood. <laughs> he was blobbier than Pearl. Oh, yeah. He looks like So dur- during that fight scene, we uh, we see that, um, well, beforehand when Frost, Frost chucks the, the serum or the uh, the syringes with all the uh, ED- EDTA off to the side, well, Blade finally discovers it and uh, is able to dislodge it from this rock surface that it's sitting on and probably one of the cooler scenes. In fact, if you guys look on TikTok, there's a scene of somebody doing the exact same move where something drops and this person midair kicks it and it gets goes flying, and that's basically what Blade did, and it and, and, you know impacted into uh, Frost's body and basically inflated him into this blood just blob. Exploded, yeah. <laughs> he became the blood blob, yeah, and killing him. So uh, Carrot Car- Car- offers to, uh, Blade to cure him. Instead, he's like, "No, we're we're good. I don't I don't need to. Uh, I, I you know I just improve your version of your serum. Just make it better." Yeah, you know, just I, I, because there's still I'm still have more to do. Badass, uh, my man, badass line. He's like, you want to help me make me a better serum? I'm like, yeah. okay. And yeah. then you think the movie's over? Nope. Oh, and then we get our first post credit scene in a way from MCU or from the Marvel world. Uh, we get a brief epilogue where Blade confronts a vampire in Moscow. There is a deleted scene actually where they, when they come out of there, they're both Karen and Blade are standing on the. On top of that building, there's a scene where you see a vampire watching them from another building, and they they say that's Morbius. That they was say, I. They I when you say they, it. you say the fanboys say it's Morbius. It's never. I looked it up. It, it wasn't said it's by the studios. Enough. Everybody hinted that like, oh, that would be cool if it was, and then it, that took on a life of its own. But yeah, it was never officially said. It's a nice little Easter egg. It's a thing like, is that him now? I could honestly, could, why, why be it Morbius? Because honestly, his biggest villain was Dracula. And that would have made that would have made more sense. Not not Morbius. <laughs> and what's Dracula doing outside in the sun? Hey, what's <laughs> he, he's a, he's the king? We, we didn't we see him in the third one walking around in the sun? Yeah, there. Yeah, was, see, was, well, because mm-hmm. he's the original Daywalker. They explained that in the movie, but that's another watch along. But that is how that movie had ended. Uh, I t- again, I it's one of my favorite as far as like the early Marvel. I I even will put this as much as I love the X Men. I put this above the X Men, the first one. To be honest, uh, it's not as I think the X Men was good, but it was not. He he kind of took the ideas from Blade as far as making it dark, and he he, he did a good job with it. But this was the Blade wasn't toned down. Blade was rated R. So it was full, like, you know, gore, we're going for it. Yeah, I know. That's what I, I never understood. Everybody's like, oh, Deadpool, rated R movie, first one. I'm like, no. no. Oh, Blade? Do you guys, yeah, do you guys have amnesia? 
it, it was so strange when that happened. Like, oh, it was a big thing. I'm like, guys, 98 Blade was a rated R movie. You guys yeah. Like- yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that have been coming out lately. And some of the some movies are like, first time this has been done. Uh, no. Do you guys have amnesia about like movies that have come out before? Or do you just not want to choose? The is, it, is it everything? But, you know, you know, before 2000, guys, you know, doesn't exist. Yeah, is that's it, kind of what it, I think that's what it is. There's a I think it is. Yeah, like I said, there like, was something else that came out like recently. And they're like, oh, this is the first one this happened. I'm like, no. No, it's not. Go back in your history. It's the first time it happened in the MCU. If you want to go with that route, then yes. But again, you know, Deadpool wasn't MCU. It was, you know, pre-MCU at that point. Unbelievable. But um, yeah, getting back to Blade, this is probably one of my favorites up there. Whenever it comes on like TNT or actually one of my streaming services, it pops in there. I'll definitely pop it in. It's for me, it's like four to five straight jackets. It's, it's really good. Really good. I mean, yeah, some of the special effects a little bit dated, but hey, it's 1998, and considering what what I had just lost in '97, where I was, you know, disheartened, heartbroken, I'm like, God. And then I heard about Blade. I'm like, okay, let me go check Blade out. Let's see how Blade is. And then I was like, okay, looks like we're going in a step in the right direction. And then from there, we got X Men, and then Batman Begins, and then you know the the train started rolling again. We were we were back on the tracks. Yeah, and this it was the film that got everybody back on the tracks. Like, well, maybe they can make comic book movies that are a little bit more serious in tone. And this was the beginning of it. That's why I've I've always enjoyed it. Either way, we could have reviewed it, we could have watched it. Either one would have worked. But I I still like the Punisher. But hey. <laughs> but Blade holds a special place in my heart. It's it literally to me. I'm not sure about other people or your opinion, but it, it's the beginning of the comic book renaissance. Yeah, starting. again, we mentioned this at the beginning. It's not just ours. Everybody, there's a large group out there that really, yeah, say the say the same statement that this was the rebirth of of it from, you know, post Batman and Robin. Yeah, this was just like the beginning until what we have right now, which is yeah. like for like movies, streaming services, hell, like shorts on YouTube. You have everything that kind of stream from this, and that's that's good. The more the merrier. Like they keep pumping these stuff out, they keep making it in this tone, and then they they've kept that tone in a lot of the series. They've kept it like we're going to take this seriously. It's not a joke. It's not campy. You know, we're going to take this serious vibe, which is when I was always reading comics or graphic novels, as they call it sometimes, I've always thought of it, okay, this is a serious story. This is a serious stuff that's going on. Just guys with capes or vampires or whatever, robots. It's, they take the story seriously when they write them. Finally, the movies have taken that tone into that serious Well, I think because I- people have actually looked harder at the actual, like, the stories and not just taking it out of context of being a cartoon and being a drawing but actually have literally looked at the story that's written and gone, mm-hmm. wow, okay. And that's when you, you're you know, finding some of these that they're looking at going, holy crap. I mean, why do you think they constantly are making uh, every reference to any Batman movie, The Long Halloween? They're constantly, oh, that's the one we're reading. That's the one we're basing it off of because it was one that probably got the most attention. Yes, for I think for us, Die Hard Sweaties, Dark Knight was the big one for us. But for anybody outside, Long Halloween, because of the amount of awards it got and the backstory to it and everything like that, but if you look at other comic book stories, they 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 tell a story. They tell a story about what's going on in the world. That's another thing I've always had issues with. Recently, all these comic book guys, you know, reviewers and and fans that are on and the gatekeepers that are on YouTube, they're always like, "Why why am I getting? Why are you pre- being preachy to me in my comic book? Why are you bringing politics in? Because it's always." That- that's been always there. been there. That's always been there. You look man. at X Men. It's talking about you know anti semitism and there's it's talking about the racism at the time. It was that was an allegory for racism and uh, the 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 um uh, the the social rights movement. 
that, that's what it was. Black Panther. You're telling me Black Panther wasn't based <laughs> off of the Black Panther group, but like the name and, the, and that concept about what he was. Everything in comic books, for the most part, yeah, you have your fun, goofy ones. You have your Archies and things like that that are fun and just exciting to watch, you know, read and like, okay, that was fun. It, I unplugged my brain. But really, great stories in the comic book world are based off of true, you know, things going on in society. I think probably the biggest one I can think of is the Green Arrow and Green Lantern crossover when Speedy gets, you know, you know, gets busted, you know, doing, you know, doing heroin. Heroin, yeah, that's one of the most iconic covers where you see him with the needles in his arm and yeah. they have to talk him down. So that's that why when it. I hear comic book fans and these reviewers and these gatekeepers like getting mad because yeah, they they don't like what the comic book writer's political view is, but that comic book writer is putting their political view in a comic book. They're mad yeah. because they don't agree with it. I'm like that. That's your that's your issue right there. You yeah, just because well, you don't agree with it, but if somebody wrote your political view in a comic book, you probably would have nothing to say at that point. Yeah, if, if you got yeah. a problem with it, then you know, write your own comic or start your own yeah. podcast. Yeah, you know but, but again, don't say oh that it's never it's never been like that. It's always been it's like always that. It's always been like that since the beginning of time. Look at the Dark Knight Returns; that had like heavy p- political influences in there, especially with the presidency, with you know the whole thing yeah. with Superman, like using him as a weapon, like almost like a political tool. Yep, that was in there as well. I mean, the street gang violence as well. Like, oh, what? How are we going to control this? And this is. especially one of the end and the endings when Batman turns the um the mutants into basically like his army. You know, how he flipped the switch. He's like, hey, man, instead of, like, you know, destroying this community, why don't you freaking save it? Yeah. So, and they, and, and there's a moment, actually, in the comic or actually in the animated movie where you see uh, Commissioner Yendo looking from the rooftop, and she's like, are you doing, you want to arrest him? And she says this, he's too big. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because of his size. It was because the influence he had had overtaken even the police department. Yeah. So, like, like I said, you talk about political overtones in a comic book, that one had as well. So it's just, it's nothing new. Like you said, nothing new. It's been out there for years. People got to start, you know, hold, stop holding those lanterns and relax. It's different to people's opinions. If you don't like it, just, hey, do your own thing, man. Or don't read it. Or don't, yeah, don't read it. Put it down. So. All right, guys. Well, make sure you guys do check us out. Uh, next week, we will be doing The Punisher. Uh, we have already pre-recorded it, but in our release order, oh, it will yes. be out the week after this. So make sure you guys do check that out. We had also done uh, – what was the first two we did? Shoot, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, we, did, we did Venom. Venom. And we review. what did we review? Uh, I forgot. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank of what we reviewed. But uh, yeah, we, but we do definitely have Venom out there. I was trying to look. Oh, the Hulk. Oh, we the Hulk. Hulk. Yeah, Hulk. sorry. I was looking at my posters that I, I, I had made. Uh, yeah, so we have the Hulk and Venom out there. So make sure you guys do check that out. And then next month, we are visiting who? We're going to Gotham City, kids. Yep, all month, and all, all month of September, we will be doing Batman movies, reviewing and watching along, watching along with them. And I believe that is a – are we doing five that? No, that's a, that's a four – one. There's that's a month coming up that we're going to have five. So uh, October's well, little sneak preview bit behind the curtain, as you would say. Uh, month of October, we're doing nothing but watch alongs. Nothing. So. All right, guys. Yeah. Well, make sure you guys do check us out on Heroes Asylum and Midnight Movies, as well on Low Blows and Chair Shots. Uh, this month, mm-hmm. we're doing a did a watch along with Flair Anderson versus Hollywood the Hollywood Blonde. So make sure you guys do check all of those out and work together. And you for that match. That I, I had to actually rewatched that match again. I was like, why does he always do a match that he's always that, that leaves me wanting more? <laughs> so I think that's what I have to look forward to. Whenever he picks a match, it's going to be like it's going to segue to something else. So, oh, yeah. but check it out. That's going to be out on logos and chair shots. Check out the Heroes Asylum underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram at the Heroes Asylum. From Mike to me to you, with the Asylum kids. We'll see you soon. Das be done, comrade.